Section twenty four of the Children of Odin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Children of Odin, the Book of Northern Myths, by Parik Kolum. Part four. Chapter five. The story of Sigmund and Sinfjotli. As Sigurd rode the ways of the forest, he thought upon Sigmund his father, on his life and his death, according to what Hjordis his mother had told him. Sigmund lived for long the life of the hunter and the outlaw, but he never strayed far from the forest that was in King Sigir's domain. Often did he get a token from Signy. They too, the last of the Volsungs, knew that King Sigir and his house would have to perish for the treason he had wrought on their father and their brothers. Sigmund knew that his sister would send her son to help him. One morning there came to his hut a boy of ten years. He knew that this was one of Signy's sons, and that she would have him train him into being a warrior worthy of the Volsung breed. Sigmund hardly looked and hardly spoke to the lad. He was going hunting, and as he took down his spear from the wall he said, there is the meal-bag, boy. Mix the meal and make the bread, and we will eat when I come back." When he returned, the bread was unmade, and the boy was standing watching the meal-bag with widened eyes. "'Thou didst not make the bread?' Sigmund said. "'Nay,' said the boy. "'I was afeard to go near the bag. Something stirred within it.' "'Thou hast the heart of a mouse to be so frightened. Go back to thy mother and tell her that naught in thee is the stuff for a volsung warrior." So Sigmund spoke, and the boy went away weeping. A year later another son of Signy's came. As before Sigmund hardly looked and hardly spoke to the boy. He said, "'There is the meal-bag. Mix the meal and make ready the bread against the time I return.' When Sigmund came back the bread was unmade. The boy had shrunk away from where the bag was. "'Thou hast not made the bread?' Sigmund said. "'Nay,' said the boy. "'Something stirred in the bag, and I was afeard.' "'Thou hast the heart of a mouse. Get thee back to thy mother, and tell her that there is naught in thee the stuff for the making of a volsung warrior.' And this boy, like his brother, went back weeping. At that time Signy had no other sons, but at last one was born to her the child of a desperate thought. Him, too, when he was grown, she sent to Sigmund. "'What did thy mother say to thee?' Sigmund said to this boy when he showed himself at the hut. "'Nothing. She sewed my gloves to my hands, and then bade me pull them off.' "'And didst thou?' "'Aye. And the skin came with them.' "'And didst thou weep?' "'A Volsung does not weep for such a thing.' Long did Sigmund look on the lad. He was tall and fair and great-limbed, and his eyes had no fear in them. "'What wouldst thou have me do for thee?' said the lad. "'There is the meal-bag,' Sigmund said. "'Mix the meal and make the bread for me against the time I return.' When Sigmund came back the bread was baking on the coals. "'What didst thou with the meal?' Sigmund asked. "'I mixed it. Something was in the meal.' a serpent, I think, but I kneaded it with the meal, and now the serpent is baking on the coals." Sigmund laughed and threw his arms around the boy. "'Thou wilt not eat of that bread,' he said. Thou didst knead into it a venomous serpent." The boy's name was Sinfjotli. 
Sigmund trained him in the ways of the hunter and the outlaw. Here and there they went, taking vengeance on King Siggeir's men. The boy was fierce, but never did he speak a word that was false. One day when Sigmund and Sinfjotli were hunting, they came upon a strange house in the dark wood. When they went within they found two men lying there sleeping a deep sleep. On their arms were heavy rings of gold, and Sigmund knew that they were the sons of kings. And beside the sleeping men he saw wolf-skins, left there as though they had been cast off. Then Sigmund knew that these men were shape-changers, that they were ones who changed their shapes and ranged through the forests as wolves. Sigmund and Sinfjotli put on the skins that the men had cast off, and when they did this they changed their shapes and became wolves, and as wolves they ranged through the forest, now and then changing their shapes back to those of men. As wolves they fell upon King Siggeir's men and slew more and more of them. One day Sigmund said to Sinfjotli, Thou art still young, and I would not have thee be too rash. If thou dost come upon a company of seven men, fight them. But if thou dost come on a company greater than seven, raise up thy voice as a wolf's cry, and bring me to thy side." Sinfjotli promised that he would do this. One day as he went through the forest in his wolf's shape, Sigmund heard the din of a struggle, and he stopped to listen for Sinfjotli's call. But no call came. Then Sigmund went through the forest in the direction of the struggle. On his way he passed the bodies of eleven slain men. And he came upon Sinfjotli lying in the thicket, his wolf's shape upon him, and panting from the battle he had waged. "'Thou didst strive with eleven men. Why didst thou not call to me?' Sigmund said. "'Why should I have called to thee? I am not so feeble but I can strive with eleven men.' Sigmund was made angry with this answer. He looked on Sinfjotli where he lay, and the wicked wolf's nature that was in the skin came over him. He sprang upon him, sinking his teeth in Sinfjotli's throat. Sinfjotli lay gasping in the throes of death, and Sigmund, knowing the deadly grip that was in those jaws of his, howled his anguish. Then as he licked the face of his comrade he saw two weasels meet. They began to fight one with the other, and the first caught the second at the throat and bit him with his teeth, and laid him out as if in death. Sigmund marked the combat and the end of it. But then the first weasel ran and found leaves of a certain herb, and he put them upon his comrade's wound. And the herb cured the wound, and the weasel that was bitten rose up, and was sound and swift again. Sigmund went searching for the herb he saw the weasel carry to his comrade, and as he sought for it he saw a raven with a leaf in her beak. She dropped the leaf as he came to her. And behold, it was the same leaf as the weasel had brought to his comrade. Sigmund took it and laid it on the wound he had made in Sinfjotli's throat, and the wound healed, and Sinfjotli was sound once more. They went back to their hut in the forest, and the next day they burnt the wolf-skins, and they prayed the gods that they might never be afflicted with the wolf's evil nature again. And Sigmund and Sinfjotli never afterwards changed their shapes. Chapter Six, the story of the vengeance of the Volsungs and of the death of Sinfjotli. And now Sinfjotli had come to his full strength, and it was time to take vengeance on King Siggeir for the slaying of Volsung and the dread doom he had set for Volsung's ten sons. Sigmund and Sinfjotli put helmets on their heads and took swords in their hands 
and went to King Siggeir's hall. They hid behind the casks of ale that were at the entrance, and they waited for the men-at-arms to leave the hall that they might fall upon King Siggeir and his attendants. The younger children of King Siggeir were playing in the hall, and one let fall a ball. It went rolling behind the casks of ale, and the child, peering after the ball, saw two men crouching with swords in their hands and helmets on their heads. The child told a servant, who told the king. Then Siggeir arose, and he drew his men-at-arms around him, and he set them on the men who were hiding behind the barrels. Sigmund and Sinfiotli sprang up and fought against the men of King Siggeir, but they were taken captives. Now they might not be slain there and then, for it was unlawful to slay captives after sunset. But for all that King Siggeir would not leave them above ground. He decreed that they should be put in a pit, and a mound made over them so that they would be buried alive. The sentence was carried out. A great flagstone was put down to divide the pit in two, so that Sigmund and Sinfiotli might hear each other's struggle and not be able to give help to each other. All was done as the king commanded. But while his thralls were putting sods over the pit, one came amongst them, cloaked and hooded, and dropped something wrapped in straw into the side of the pit where Sinfiotli lay. And when the sky was shut out from them with the turf and soil that was put over the pit, Sinfiotli shouted to Sigmund, "'I shall not die, for the queen has thrown down to me meat wrapped in a parcel of straw.' And a while afterwards Sinfiotli shouted to Sigmund, "'The queen has left a sword in the meat which she flung down to me. It is a mighty sword. Almost, I think, it is Grom, the sword you told me of.' "'If it be Grom,' Sigmund said, "'it is a sword that can cut through this flagstone. Thrust the blade against the stone and try.' Sinfiotli thrust the blade against the stone, and the blade went through the stone. Then one on each side they took hold of the sword and they cut the great stone in two. Afterwards, working together, it was easy to shift the turf and soil. The two came out under the sky. Before them was the hall of King Siggeir. They came to the hall and they set dry wood before it, and they fired the wood and made the hall blaze up. And when the hall was in a blaze, King Siggeir came to the door and shouted, who is it that has fired the house of the king? And Sigmund said, I, Sigmund, the son of Volsung, that you may pay for the treason wrought on the Volsungs. Seeing Sigmund there with Grom the great sword in his hands, Sigir went back into his hall. Then Signy was seen with her white face and her stern eyes, and Sigmund called to her, Come forth, come forth, Sigmund calls, come out of Sigir's blazing house, and together we will go back to the hall of the Bronstock. But Signy said, All is finished now. The vengeance is wrought, and I have no more to keep me in life. The Volsung race lives on in you, my brother, and that is my joy. Not merrily did I wed King Sigir, and not merrily did I live with him, but merrily will I die with him now. She went within the hall, then the flames burst over it, and all who were within perished. Thus the vengeance of the Volsungs was wrought. And Sigurd thought on the deed that Sigmund his father, and Sinfiotli, the youth who was his father's kinsman, wrought, as he rode the ways of the forest, and of the things that thereafter befell them. Sigmund and Sinfiotli left King Sigir's land, and came back to the land where was the hall of the Bronstock. Sigmund became a great king, and Sinfiotli was the captain of his host. 
and the story of Sigmund and Sinfiotli goes on to tell how Sigmund wed a woman whose name was Borghild, and how Sinfiotli loved a woman who was loved by Borghild's brother. A battle came in which the youths were on opposite sides, and Sinfiotli killed Borghild's brother, and it was in fair combat. Sinfiotli returned home. To make peace between him and the queen, Sigmund gave Borghild a great measure of gold as compensation for the loss of her brother. The queen took it and said, Lo, my brother's worth is reckoned at this. Let no more be said about his slaying. And she made Sinfiotli welcome to the hall of the Bronstock. But although she showed herself friendly to him, her heart was set upon his destruction. That night there was a feast in the hall of the Bronstock, and Borghild the queen went to all the guests with a horn of mead in her hand. She came to Sinfiotli, and she held the horn to him. "'Take this from my hands, O friend of Sigmund,' she said. But Sinfiotli saw what was in her eyes, and he said, "'I will not drink from this horn. There is venom in the drink.' Then, to end the mockery that the queen would have made over Sinfiotli, Sigmund, who was standing by, took the horn out of Borghild's hand. No venom or poison could injure him. He raised the horn to his lips and drained the mead at a draught. The queen said to Sinfiotli, Must other men quaff thy drink for thee? Later in the night she came to him again, the horn of mead in her hand. She offered it to Sinfiotli, but he looked in her eyes and saw the hatred that was there. Venom is in the drink, he said. I will not take it. And again Sigmund took the horn and drank the mead at a draught, and again the queen mocked Sinfiotli. A third time she came to him. Before she offered the horn, she said, This is the one who fears to take his drink like a man. What a volsung heart he has! Sinfiotli saw the hatred in her eyes, and her mockery could not make him take the mead from her. As before, Sigmund was standing by, but now he was weary of raising the horn, and he said to Sinfiotli, Pour the drink through thy beard. He thought that Sigmund meant that he should pour the mead through his lips that were bearded, and make trouble no more between him and the queen. But Sigmund did not mean that. He meant that he should pretend to drink, and let the mead run down on the floor. Sinfiotli, not understanding what his comrade meant, took the horn from the queen and raised it to his lips and drank. And as soon as he drank, the venom that was in the drink went to his heart, and he fell dead in the hall of the Bronstock. Oh, woeful was Sigmund for the death of his kinsman and his comrade. He would let no one touch his body. He himself lifted Sinfiotli in his arms and carried him out of the hall, and through the wood, and down to the seashore. And when he came to the shore he saw a boat drawn up with a man therein. Sigmund came near to him, and saw that the man was old and strangely tall. "'I will take thy burden from thee,' the man said. Sigmund left the body of Sinfiotli in the boat, thinking to take a place beside it. But as soon as the body was placed in it, the boat went from the land without sail or oars. Sigmund, looking on the old man who stood at the stern, knew that he was not of mortal men, but was Odin, all-father, the giver of the sword Grom. Then Sigmund went back to his hall. His queen died, and in time he wed with Hjordis, who became the mother of Sigurd. And now Sigurd the Volsung, the son of Sigmund and Hjordis, rode the ways of the forest, the sword Grom by his side, and the golden helmet of the dragon's hoard above his golden hair. End of section 24